Good news. If you're here, God isn't done with you yet. Life is full of seasons, and each season brings with it new beginnings. New life. These seasons are full of opportunity and uncertainty. Their endings are often bittersweet. But each ending carries the promise of a new beginning. Good morning. It is good to see you guys. Welcome to Seacoast Church. Uh, my name is Josh Surratt. I'm one of the pastors here at Seacoast, and uh, we're excited that you guys are with us this weekend. Anybody ready for the fall? I, I don't know about you. I'm, I'm ready for the fall. You got Cubs going to win the World Series this fall, and Clemson's going to kill it. It's just going to be a good, good fall. Um, the Cubs thing, that was prophesied, actually, back in Back to the Future, too. I don't know if you guys knew that or not, but uh, so believing that's going to happen. Uh, but we're, we're glad you're here. If you're joining us at one of our uh, locations uh, here in South Carolina, North Carolina, we are excited that you guys are with us as well, part of our Seacoast family. If you're watching online, we're glad that you're here as well. And uh, just look forward to what God's going to do uh, in, in and among us. And I just met a couple between services who just moved to town from San Diego and getting connected here in the church in the last couple of weeks. And just want to say, if you're new to Seacoast, I know that uh, a lot of times the fall brings fresh starts for people. Maybe you've been around Charleston or your campus area for a while, but you're kind of taking some steps to get plugged into the church. Or maybe you moved to your location and, and it's a new start for you. Just know that we're glad you're here. And uh, I can't wait to see the church kind of become small for you, just like it was for the couple that uh, we, we interviewed in the dispatch video. As you get connected, it's a great weekend to get connected at Seacoast at all of our campuses. And so uh, look, looking forward to seeing that happen for you. Uh, a few months ago, back in February, uh, I had a chance to travel to Zurich, Switzerland to speak at one of the churches that we planted. We have a church planting organization and one of the churches that we planted is called Metropolis Church with Pastor Tim and Rebecca Lindsay in Zurich, Switzerland. They usually watch online. So if you are watching, uh, hey, Tim and Rebecca, we miss you guys. But great church in Zurich. And so I had the chance to go over there. But the day before church, one of their team members said, hey, would you guys be interested in going skiing? I was like, you, you mean like in the Alps? And they're like, yeah, I mean, it's just 45 minutes away, great resort. And talk about like bucket list for me. I mean, to ski in the Alps, I was like, absolutely. We didn't bring anything. But, and they said, don't worry, we've got it. We'll, we'll pull some stuff together. So we got to ski on a Saturday in the Alps in Switzerland. It was an incredible, incredible opportunity. And so we get on the first lift of the day. We're going up the mountain. And I noticed a couple of things. Uh, the first thing I noticed is that the people in Switzerland are really, really, really good at skiing. Like everybody. I mean, you had little guys that are like literally just learning how to walk that are on skis. They literally just put them on skis and throw them down the mountain and they figure it out. Like nobody. I was probably a 10, 15 minute chairlift ride at the top. I didn't see a single person that had fallen down. And this was not good news for me because when I ski, uh, I spend about 50% of my time on the skis and 50% sliding down the mountain. That's just kind of the way that I've always done it. But I'm also a highly competitive person, like really competitive. If I play games with my kids, they don't win just because they're kids. Like that's not how we roll in our house. And so I just thought, man, I got I to gotta take up my game uh, because I am, I am here not only representing my family, I'm representing my country. And <laughs> we're not going to look like idiots out here on the slopes. And so I just, I, I focused hard. I, I believed in myself. I saw it before I said it, kind of like Greg, Greg talked about last week and and I did an incredible job. I had the best day of skiing that I've ever had. Uh, 
In fact, Lisa, she didn't say it with her, her actual words, but I could tell she was so proud of me and like more in love with me in that moment, I think, than she <laughs> ever had been. And you had even people from Europe that were going, man, you know, you're pretty good. This is pretty, pretty awesome. I had started to think about the Olympics, you know, in a couple of years and <laughs> reclaiming some stuff for, for America. But <clears throat> on the last run of the day, uh, we got to this lift. Uh, it was an eight-person chairlift. And what you would do is you would ski up to the front of the line and you'd get to a gate. The gate would open up and then you would ski forward and then there was like a conveyor belt deal that would take you forward about 10, 15 feet, stop, and then the chairlift would swing around and pick you up and take you up to the mountain. No problem. I'd done it probably five, six times already that day. Well, we get to this um, gate and Lisa's with me. Gate opens and I ski forward to the conveyor belt and I noticed that Lisa did not come with me. I don't know if she met a guy out there or what, what happened, but she was not there. And so I, I stopped to turn, and as I turned to check on my wife, that ground kept moving in front of me, and I ended up flipping up, falling on the, the back of my uh, neck, and, and I'm laying there, and there's this big eight-person chairlift that's swinging around, and so I tried to get as thin as I could and sucked in and hoping it would just go over me. Women were yelling, save him, somebody help. And this guy, this Swiss guy reaches down, grabs me by the back of my neck like a puppy and lifts me up and throws me onto the lift just as it's going. And, and all of Europe is watching as this American guy. <laughs> it's one thing to fall while you're skiing. Don't be the guy that falls at the chairlift. It's just, it's embarrassing. And uh, I went from being on top of the world, I mean, experiencing the thrill of victory, everyone's watching, doing great, to being known as chairlift boy uh, for the rest of the time that we were in Switzerland. It was embarrassing. Have you guys ever had a moment like that? You know, maybe an embarrassing moment where in a moment you're, you're, you're doing well and then maybe you, you stumble or you fall. I can remember dropping a book bag in, in school and just being embarrassed by it. We've all probably experienced something like that where you go from the thrill of victory to all of a sudden you're you know, laying on a conveyor belt, getting ready to get a concussion from, from a chairlift. But sometimes the stakes are a little bit higher than that, though. You know, I know there have been times where we've been doing just fine financially, kind of moving along pretty good, and then a transmission goes out or a, another car problem. And all of a sudden, you find yourself struggling to, to make it work and to, to get out of the hole that you're in. You know, I know there are many friends of mine who you're going along just fine in your, your job, and you have one bad day. You, know, you, you make a stupid choice that you wish that you could pull back, but you can't. And you find yourself starting over. Maybe you own a business and things are moving along great. Things are going fine. You're on top of the world. And then your number one salesperson quits and opens up his own deal right down the street. And you find yourself just in a totally new reality. You know, maybe your marriage is moving along just fine. And in a few minutes, Lisa and I are going to share some of our marriage story, which may be PG-13, so if you have kids, you may want to just be aware of that, but <coughs> your marriage is moving along just fine. And then, uh, I don't know if you paid attention to the news, but uh, a list comes out, uh, Ashley Madison website, and maybe you find some information out and you go, man, that changes our reality. You know, we can all probably relate and understand that things can change in a moment. We can go from the thrill of victory to the agony of defeat. Well, this weekend, we're in a series that we're calling Joshua, um, very creative because we're studying the book of Joshua, uh, but we're, we're, we're following this people group, the, the people of Israel, children of Israel, and they go from uh, 400 years in captivity 
to 40 years wandering around the wilderness. And in the book of Joshua, we finally discover them living out their dream. Their dreams have come true. They've crossed the Jordan River and they're now occupying the land that they've dreamed about for so, so long. And honestly, things are going really, really well for them up to this point. They've had a few challenges, but by and large, God has shown up and things are going well. Last weekend, they had their first major military victory. We studied the, the walls of Jericho came down and, and these people are just on top of the world. In fact, look at the first verse in your outline sheet in Joshua 6, verse 27. It says, so the Lord was with Joshua and his fame spread throughout the land. Man, that's a good place to be. Things are going extremely well for Joshua. Things are going extremely well for this country. But then comes chapter seven. And honestly, I wish that we could just skip chapter seven and move on to a more fun chapter in Joshua. But uh, I talked to my dad, Greg, who's our senior pastor, and he said, no, you made me preach on circumcision. You preach on chapter seven. And so we're going to do it. I wish we could skip chapter sevens in general in life. You know, those, those chapters where the, the wheels come off the track a little bit. And for Israel, this was a chapter where they went from experiencing the thrill of victory to the agony of defeat in, in one chapter. And so what I want to do is I want us to look at it together. I want us to figure out what, what happened for them, what went wrong, and then how can we learn from that and how can we put things back together. So how do we go from the thrill of victory to the agony of defeat? First thing that we do, if we want to, hopefully you don't want to do that, but first thing we can learn is we overestimate our own ability. Overestimate our own ability. So we find these people in the aftermath of the greatest victory, the, the, the walls of Jericho, an incredible, incredible victory in chapter six. But look what happens in chapter seven, verses two through five. It says, now Joshua sent some men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon to the east of Bethel and told him, go up and spy out the region. This is the next town that they're going to have to conquer. So the men went up and they spied out Ai. When they returned Josh to Joshua, they said, not all the army will have to go up against Ai. Send two or 3,000 men to take it. Do not weary the whole army. Now remember, this army has six, over 600,000 men in it. It's a big army, but they go, hey, just send a couple thousand. It's not, it's not a big deal. We got this. What happens? Verse four. So about 3,000 went up, but they were routed by the men of Ai, who killed about 36 of them. They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. At this, the hearts of the people melted in fear and became like water. Another version says their spirits were, 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 were destroyed, were, were deflated. I mean, talk about a swing and momentum. You go from his fame as being spread throughout the land to that, to being defeated by a small town, to their hearts are melting with fear. That's a momentum shift. It's like the Seattle Seahawks in the Super Bowl. I mean, one yard away from touchdown and one interception and their, their spirits are deflated. Or was it the ball that was deflated? I can't remember. <coughs> I can't remember exactly how that worked. So... Um, I'm so glad football start back up. I don't know about you, but it'd be fun. But, but these people, you know, they go from, from such an incredible place of victory to defeated. I mean, just a, a terrible, terrible defeat. What happened? What happened? 
I think one of the th things that happened is they got too confident in their own ability. They overestimated their own ability. Do you guys remember last week we talked about Jericho? Who took the walls of Jericho down? Does anybody remember? It was, it was God. Remember, the people actually didn't even attack. They, they, they followed God's instructions, but God took down the walls of Jericho. He let them be a part of it, but it was him that did the heavy lifting. And now their next battle comes, and they didn't consult with God, and they, they, they kind of looked at it from their own perspective. They said, well, we just took out Jericho. I mean, people are talking about how great our army is. People are talking about how awesome we are. We got this. Let's go. Let's take care of business. They overestimated their own abilities. It reminds me of Proverbs 16, verse 14. It says, pride goes before destruction. A haughty spirit before a fall. You know the quickest way to go from the thrill of victory to the agony of defeat is through pride. Over and over and over again in the Bible, it talks about our pride being a, a barrier that, that would cause us to fall. Have you ever seen somebody who, who their confidence in the Lord kind of slowly became a confidence in themselves? You know, maybe even you are overestimating your own ability. Maybe there's some pride in your life that you need to deal with. You know, maybe you used to pray for your kids every night. You're begging God to equip you as a mom or as a dad to give you the wisdom that you needed because you knew how in over you, your head you, you were to have these little people in your home and, and you just begged God to show up in their lives. But over time, you've kind of figured things out. Maybe you used to pray before any big sales call that you had or, or sales meeting because you knew that God was your provider and that, 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 that if he would show up and, and, and show up financially, give you the words to say that, that he would come through for you. But, you know, over time, you got pretty good at that sales stuff. And, and you've kind of quit depending or relying on God. It could be as simple as th there was a day where you used to wake up every morning. And the first thing you would do is you would sit down and you would pray. You would open up God's word and you would go, Lord, please lead me today. I know I need you to go before me. If I'm going to experience victory today, I need you to go before me. But you've kind of, it's been a while since you've had that sort of a mindset, we've begun to overestimate our own abilities. Where is life going well for you right now? Are, are you tempted to take the credit where maybe God deserves it? I was talking to a local coach uh, here in Charleston a couple of years ago about, he, he went to Navy uh, for college, played basketball there, and one of his teammates was David Robinson, uh, who, if you don't know basketball, he played for the Spurs, one of the greatest centers of all time, and this guy was telling me about their, one of their runs that they made through the NCAA tournament, almost made it to the final four, and he was talking about this big victory that they had, and he said, man, it was amazing. David Robinson and I combined for 51 points to beat these guys. It was, it was the highlight of my career. Well, I did some research. It turns out David Robinson scored 50, and he scored one. <laughs> but they combined for 51 points. You know, I think about Israel. We beat Jericho. You know, God and I, we took down the walls. No, God beat Jericho, but he let you be a part of it. And they, they overestimated their own ability, and it got them in trouble. <coughs> so if we want to see the thrill of victory turn to the agony of defeat, overestimate our own ability. You know, in church uh, across the country, we tend to get really hyped up about other people's sins, about other issues, and we have these soapbox issues, if we would get as hyped up about pride and tearing it down in our lives and not allowing it to take root in our lives, we, we would probably see a lot more impact because all throughout Scripture, pride goes before a fall. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humbled. It's, it's all throughout Scripture. Pride 
is a surefire way to do it. But there's another thing going on in this story. Second thing that we can learn from him is not only overestimating our own abilities, but underestimating the consequences of my sin. Underestimating the consequences of my sin will take us from the thrill of victory to the agony of defeat. See, God had given the nation of Israel very specific instructions about Jericho. You remember he told them how to march around the city and how he was going to bring the walls down. But he also gave them specific instructions for what to do when they got in. What to do when, when the walls did fall down. Back in Joshua chapter 6, here's what God told them. He said, the city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall be spared because she hid the spies that we sent. We talked about that story in the second week of the series. But, but here's what they said. Look at verse 18. It says, but keep away from the devoted things. If you have a pen, I want you to underline the word devoted things. Keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. See, God was very specific about some devoted things that he didn't want them to mess with. Everything in that city was devoted for destruction. God said, don't, don't, don't bring anything back with you. There's some things in this city that you're going to be tempted to grab. You know, I've brought you this far. I have great plans for you. I'm, I'm going to take you to a land of milk and honey, and you're going to have everything that you need. You're going to be tempted to touch some things in this city that are going to ultimately destroy you. So whatever you do, don't do that. They're devoted for destruction. You know, we have things in our life that are devoted for destruction. You know, there are certain things that if we mess with them, if we dabble in them, they're going to ultimately hurt us. We're going to be tempted. There, there, there are going to be things that make, may seem good at the time, but they're ultimately going to bring about destruction in our lives. I don't know what that is for you. Some of them are universal. You know, there's, I talked about pride as one of them. But, but for you, there may be a person in your life that, that anytime you're around them, you hang out with them, it just brings you to a place that you don't want to be. And you know that that's a relationship. You don't have to you be rude to them, but you just know it's not, a, it's not somebody that you should be around or, or hang out with. Devoted for destruction. For some people, it may be alcohol. You know, where, uh, and, and at Seacoast, we're not legalistic about this stuff, and uh, the Bible doesn't say that, that you should never drink alcohol, but, but for some people, it's an issue that it has brought about destruction in your life. And you know that God has said, for you, don't touch it. Stay away from it. There are things that are devoted for destruction. Well, in the nation of Israel's case, there was one guy that decided to mess with some stuff that he shouldn't have. And, and that's where Joshua, we pick up the story in Joshua 7. Remember, they just got defeated by AI. They overestimated their own ability. But then Joshua goes to God and he's like, what? What's going on? And Josh, uh, God, the Lord said to Joshua, stand up. What are you doing down on your face? Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They've taken some of those devoted things. They've stolen. They've lied. They've put them with their own possessions. That is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they've been made liable to destruction. And sad words, God says, I won't be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. See, one guy decided to do things his own way. We'll find out later in chapter 7 that it was a guy named Aiken. I think they named a city in South Carolina after him. I actually spelled differently. 
But this guy, apparently he got in there, got into Jericho, and there were some items that he saw that he felt like he couldn't live without them. He had to grab them. He knew what God had said. God had been very specific with the entire nation, but he, he grabbed a hold of some things, and ultimately he brought them back with him, and he underestimated the consequences of that choice. And ultimately that choice not only affected his life, but 36 people died in the next battle because of that choice. There were consequences for the entire nation. Notice that verse said Israel has sinned. It didn't say one guy has sinned. It said Israel has sinned. And we often underestimate the consequences of our own sin. What's devoted for destruction in your life? Something you know you shouldn't be messing with, but maybe you've been tempted to go there. I wanted to invite Lisa to join me, um, share some of our story. Would you guys give Lisa a hand as she comes? My wife. You know, as we were looking at the passage this week and what it was talking about, I couldn't help but think back to a time in my life that uh, got caught up with something that was clearly marked and devoted for destruction, but I I, I, um, gave into it. And uh, it was a struggle. I've talked about this before to the church, but struggle that I had with with pornography from the time I was a teenager. Uh, until really about two years into my marriage. It was a, a private battle. I never talked to anybody about it. I, I didn't feel like um, it was okay to talk about it. I thought I, and it was the kind of thing that every time it would happen, I would go, that's never gonna happen again. I've got it under control. We're, we're in a good place. But I never, never shared with Lisa about it. And uh, ultimately, I underestimated the consequences of my sin. I knew that it was causing problems for me I knew that uh, there, were, there were days that I just felt like there was a wedge between God and I because of my sin. I knew that as a leader, it was, it was undermining my ability to lead. I had already been on staff at Seacoast. I was an intern, but I felt like I couldn't do anything about it. I felt like I couldn't talk about it. And um, I'll never forget getting a phone call uh, one afternoon from Lisa. And the moment that I heard her voice, I knew that she had discovered this issue. Yeah, it was a, uh, a rough season, to say the least, and, um, you know, there were so many emotions. I felt betrayed. Uh, I felt sadness, anger, fear, frustration, blindsided. You know, I had no idea that this was an issue. Um, you know, and at, th- at that point, I-, I don't think I had realized that I had put Josh on a pedestal that was never his place to be. A lot of my identity and, um, you know, my security was wrapped up into him. And, and at that point, I was questioning, is he the man that I, thought, that I thought he was? And, you know, so needless to say, my world just kind of came crashing down. And there were some really tough choices that I had to make. You know, was I going to forgive him? You know, when you're hurt by someone that is so close to you, you know, there's this natural reaction to self-protect. And the enemy, honestly, capitalizes on that. He wants to, to build these walls up around your heart and, and make you think, okay, I'm just going to, you know, if I've got these walls up, I'll never, I'll never be hurt like that again. Unfortunately, it is this subtle way that the enemy brings division in your marriage. And I really don't believe that division is from the Lord. You know, if the enemy can keep us fighting against each other instead of for each other, then the enemy can so easily devote your marriage for destruction. 
you know, I really truly believe when you think about why did God create uh, the covenant of marriage? And I really think it is to, to help each other, to spur each other on, to, to love God more, to go after your calling uh, more, and to be a helpmate for each other. And that doesn't just mean in the easy things of life. It means in the deepest and the darkest challenges that each person faces. And so every part of me, if I'm just transparent, wanted to run. I just wanted to, this is too hard. I don't know how to deal with this. But the truth is I really had to just trust God that he had a better plan and that division was not part of it. I had to believe that God had a mission that was set before us that was worth fighting for, that our marriage was worth fighting for. And if you're facing a tough situation, I just want to encourage you. God does not author division. He wants to bring some healing and restoration. And the biggest decision that you're going to have to make is, are we going to fight as a team? Are we going to fight together? Are we going to fight for each other? Are we going to allow the enemy to, to just bring division in our marriage? When you fight as a team, you disarm the enemy and you allow God to bring some healing and some restoration. We wanted to share, share this with you. Not, I mean, trust me, we don't want to be the porn pastors at Seacoast. Um, I've talked about this before. It's, it's not an easy thing to talk about. But the reality is, is first of all, uh, this woman was amazing throughout that process and really going, hey, this is not just your issue, but let's fight it together. Let's work as a team to, to, to come a long way here. But I think we just tend to underestimate our own stuff, you know, the consequences. And you know, we think, man, my anger is not going to affect um, my family or my anger is not going to affect my work. But all of, all of the issues, the sin, the things that are devoted for destruction, they, they have a ripple effect. And watching my sin have the kind of impact that it had on her was devastating for me. And we, I had just underestimated the consequences of my own sin. I also wanted to share because I, I want to give you hope that maybe you have been messing with some stuff that's devoted for destruction. You don't have to stay there. You know, God has a greater plan for you. God has a greater plan. That's not the end of the story for you. It wasn't the end of the story for Achan. Uh, there are definitely consequences to our sin. And we actually don't have to guess what they are. Romans 6:23 lays out the consequences for sin. It says, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And there are these things that are devoted for destruction. They're going to bring about death. Either we destroy them with the help of God, or they are going to destroy us. Temptation always promises you know, life, and it promises fun, and it promises great things. Hey, you deserve this. Just do it. It's not that big of a deal, but it always delivers death. It did for me, and it, it, it did for the people of Israel. What I want to do with the time that we have left is talk about where do you go from there? Where did the nation of Israel go from there? There are a couple of things that brought about death for them. Uh, they overestimated their own ability. They underestimated the consequences of their sin, but, but that's not the end of the story for them. You know, they, they did some things that God blessed and it ended up turning things around. And thankfully, our toughest days in marriage, it wasn't the end of the story for us. We had a turnaround. I, I don't know if you've noticed the stock markets in the last couple of weeks, but it's been a little bit up and down. And I saw a headline on Tuesday that I, I just thought it was cool the way it said it. It said, stocks rebound as Black Monday becomes turnaround Tuesday. Now, I think there then was another Black Friday or something like that. But point being... I love the phrase turnaround Tuesday. 
Because wherever you are today, whatever you might be struggling with, there can be a turnaround in Christ. You know, that's not the end of your story. How did they do it? How can we have a turnaround Tuesday? I want to share just a couple of thoughts from the story. The first thing that we have to do if we want to see it turn around is restart the conversation with God. Restart the conversation with God. It's interesting. Up until this point in the book of Joshua, every chapter laid out a conversation with God. When, when, when Joshua became the leader, there was a conversation that he had with God. When they crossed the Jordan River, there was a conversation with God. When they built the memorials, when he decided to circumcise the entire country, there was a conversation with God before that. When they went into Jericho, there was a very clear conversation with God about strategy. And he was, he was learning from him. He was getting information and then he was, he was utilizing that to experience victory. But then comes chapter 7 and the conversation stops. There was no conversation. They consulted with each other, but they just said, hey, let's go after it. Let's do it. But as soon as they experience this defeat, Joshua goes back and, and he restarts the conversation with God. Look at chapter 7, verse 6. It says, Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell face down to the ground before the Lord, remaining there until evening. Now, I don't know where you are today, but the greatest first step is to restart the conversation with God. Maybe you've thought, I, I don't know, man, the last place I need to be is in church with the issues that I'm dealing with. Or God, the last person God wants to talk to is me. Yeah, that's a, that's a lie from the enemy. I don't care where we are, we can restart a conversation with God. And I know in our story, um, you found a lot of solace, as did I, in conversations with God. But talk about what that looked like for you. Well, I'm a journaler. And, um, <clears throat> you know, I look at these journals, you know, and... Um, they represent, I, I quickly remember different seasons of my life. And some were really, really good, good seasons. And others, I almost don't want to touch because they were really hard seasons. You know, and the pages of these journals are just my conversations with God. They're just prayers. They're, some are begging God to show up in the difficult days. Some are repenting for things that I am holding on to or things that I need to deal with. Um, some are celebrating um, and thanking God, uh, you know, just for his faithfulness. But through it all, whenever I face a tough situation, I can go back and I can look at these, I can start flipping through the pages of these journals. And I'm so quickly reminded whether it is the toughest part of my life or whether it is a blessed season, God is faithful, and he's been faithful. And so when I'm facing a new challenge, I can say, you know what, God, you've been faithful. There's no reason why you would not be faithful again. So. That's good. And there's some good stuff in those journals. I've, I've looked through them. That no, could be a no, book. no. <laughs> she, did say, she did say some bad things about me in the bottom two, um, but. What I love about that is it's just, it's a practical way to have a conversation. And then sometimes we go, well, where do I start with a conversation with God? And maybe journaling would be a good start for you where you can maybe write out your prayers or write out scripture or, you know, start with maybe an I'm sorry or maybe a God, thank you for, for what you've done and the blessings you've given me. But, but restart the conversation with God. The second thing we can do if we're going to experience this turnaround is discover the root of the problem. Discover the root of the problem. When I think about Joshua and his position as a leader, They've gone in to fight AI, this city, and they get destroyed. And if I'm Joshua, it'd be very tempting to apply the wrong solution to that problem. 
uh, to just go, well, we must not have sent enough troops. Let's go back and send more. Or we need a different strategy. Or let's just try harder or pray more. And God goes, no, no, no. Uh, there's a root here that goes beyond the surface. And don't just deal with the symptom. Deal with the root. And in their case, in Joshua 7, that God tells them, hey, there's sin. There's some stuff that needs to be dealt with. There's this, this issue that needs to be dealt with. Don't just move past it. Deal with the root of the problem. And I don't know about you, but a lot of times I just want to deal with the symptom. Or I want to apply the wrong solution to the right problem. And usually it, it leads to making the problem even worse. I remember uh, not long ago, Lisa, can I blame you for that? You spilled milk in the, the van. I mean, it was... Yeah, well, you want to tell? I, okay, so I was, um, you know, trying to be mom of the year. My, my little one, we were out of milk. It was a first Wednesday. We were coming home late, and I had remembered I'll bring an empty sippy cup. So I just ran to the store. Josh will get the kids. And so I ran to the store real quick, got back, back in time just as they were coming out the door. And, um, you know, so opened the milk and filled up the sippy cup. And, you know, all is right with the world with a two-year-old that is exhausted and just wants some milk. So... I set the, the milk on the center console after I had filled it up, and I remember thinking, I put the cap on, but I remember thinking, I better move that so that it doesn't fall. Well, I was, I didn't, unfortunately, and so I was uh, turning left out of the parking lot, and of course, you kind of have to, you know, get out into the median, and so uh, just as I turned out, that, that milk just fell off the back of the console, and I just heard it go, 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 and I thought... <laughs> Oh, what have I done? And so there was a half a gallon of milk uh, in my in my van. Which was a problem uh, that was bad. And it got a lot worse when we applied some of our own solutions to that problem, uh, one of which included vinegar. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, it was bad. It was really bad for several months. Um, and so uh, we can make our problems a lot worse if we don't get to the root of them and actually deal with the, the actual problem and not try to cover them up or deal with the symptoms. And just quickly, uh, it's, talk about dealing with the root of problems. It's really hard to do something stupid when you're in community with other people. And I would just encourage you, maybe you're not connected here at Seacoast. A great way to, to kind of get to the root and help you make wiser choices in the future is to connect with some other people. Maybe you've got something that's been marked for destruction that you've been dabbling with, and we've got Celebrate Recovery in a lot of our campuses, or we've got financial peace. Maybe there's some financial decisions that you've been making that have led you down the wrong path, and, or we've got marriage groups, singles groups, men's groups, women's groups, tons of small groups to get around some community and help you deal with the root of the problem. Uh, so restart the conversation with God, discover the root of the problem, Lastly, we've got to be willing to ruthlessly deal with the sin. Ruthlessly deal with the sin. Uh, you can read the rest of Joshua's story on your own if you want to in chapter 7. But basically what happens is God says there's sin in the camp. And Joshua ruth, ruth, ruthlessly deals with that problem. What he does is he brings the entire nation before him. Uh, and I can't imagine how much time it took to do this. But million people, million plus people, and they went tribe by tribe said, God, is it this tribe? Is it this tribe? Is it this tribe? And God highlighted a tribe. And then it, within that tribe, clan by clan, they came before, God, is this the clan? Is this it? Then family by family, person by person, eventually they discover this guy Achan is the root of the problem. And sadly, Achan had to die for his sin. And several of his family members had to die for his sin. According to Old Testament law, and yeah, I read that and my sensibilities go, why did, why did he have to die? You know, couldn't there have been an, another way a, a, 
more humane way to deal with this situation. And I don't pretend to understand all of that, but I do know that Achan had ample opportunity to repent, but he didn't. And the reality is, is that when we're talking about things that are devoted for destruction, we've got to be ruthless about dealing with them. These things don't go down quietly. You know, we can't have a casual approach to something that maybe God has highlighted in your life that he wants you to deal with. You can't deal with that stuff casually. I know in my issue, in my struggle, I had to be ruthless. I mean, we're talking about getting rid of the internet. We're talking about getting rid of the only home computer that we had, a very inconvenient season of our lives, but we had to be ruthless about it. Otherwise, it wasn't going to go away. And, and so I don't know what you're dealing with, but we've got to be ruthless. I know, Lisa, your side, I mean, just in the years after that, you had to ruthlessly take down some things that were in your life. Absolutely. I think, you know, <clears throat> again, processing through all of the emotions and the responses, some responses were healthy and other responses were not. And, you know, it was, it was just a <coughs> subtle way of the enemy just trying to bring more and more more of a wedge between us and fear and anxiety and mistrust and there's just so there were so many things and I felt like you know the Lord had asked me to do something that seemed just kind of silly honestly and I felt like he said you know I want you to take all of these things I want you to write them out on a piece of paper so I listed out all of the things that I was just struggling with that the enemy had a foothold in my life with and I felt like he said, I want you to go out and I want you to, to get rid of them. I want you to bury them as just a symbol of saying, I'm giving it to you, God. And as I look back at it, I think, you know, really, those were the things that the enemy wanted me to hang on to because they were devoted for destruction. I needed to be able to give them back to God, to not touch them, to, to surrender them. Because if I didn't, the enemy had a plan to mark me, to devote me for destruction, to devote our marriage for destruction. But if I could give it back to God, John 10, 10 says, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but I come to give you a life and a better life than you have ever dreamed of. Don't settle, don't settle. He has got a plan and a purpose for your life. And it is the best life that you could, something you could never even dream of. It's awesome. I can remember actually going out in our backyard and with a shovel, digging a hole and sticking that list in the ground. And for us, I feel like, especially you in that season, a chapter turned and it was like, all right, let's close that journal and let's move on to another one because a new day is coming. And God brought some healing and restoration. And, you know, for the people of Israel, the chapter turned. And the good news is that God didn't stop with them there. That story doesn't end with chapter 7. It moves on to chapter 8 and beyond. And in chapter 8, verse 1, we see that the Lord told Joshua, don't be afraid, don't be discouraged. Take the whole army with you. Go up and attack Ai, for I have delivered into your hands the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. And they continued to occupy. They continued to live out the promises that God had for their lives. Their sin couldn't even hold back God from, from uh, blessing them. And the chapter is going to turn for you as well. If we're willing to kind of take our stuff to him, he wants to turn a new chapter and start a new story for you. Here's the good news about the stuff in our lives that are devoted for destruction that maybe kind of has been highlighted during the few moments that we've had together. Jesus has already paid for it. 
It starts there. Look at Colossians 2, verse 13 through 14. It says, when you were dead in your sins, not after you got it all together, not once you got rid of your sins, but when you were dead in your sins, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Jesus has nailed the record of your sins to the cross. When he looks at you, he doesn't see your biggest failure. He doesn't see that struggle that you've dabbled in. He sees what he's already done. He's paid for it and he's nailed it to the cross. Sometimes if you're like me, we tend to want to go take it off of the cross though. We, we, we take it back and we know that we've been forgiven, but we don't live out that freedom. And Seacoast, my prayer for us this weekend is that we would leave that stuff on the cross, that we would live our life, we would ruthlessly deal with our sin. We wouldn't settle in a, a land of devoted for destruction, that we would live out the freedom that God's called us to, that we would live in front of our children with integrity and we would love our spouse and we would just live, in, live out in front of our community a life that's worthy of the calling and the price that Jesus paid for us to live. Would you guys pray with me as we close? God, I thank you so much, Lord, for your word. Thank you for our church, um, Lord, the, every person that's represented here today. And I thank you, Lord, that in Joshua chapter 7, you lay out just honestly a warning for us. Say, hey, there's a life that I've got, got for you that is so much better than you've ever dreamed of. Don't settle for these things that are devoted for destruction. God, I thank you that you've already paid for them. I thank you, Lord, that you've died so that we could live free. And I pray, Lord, that today as we do business with you, as we respond to you, Lord, that you would just lift some of these burdens, Lord, that you would just like, I remember Lisa feeling as we walked away from bearing that list, Lord, that we would walk out of here just with a, a new outlook on life. God, a fresh, fresh start and a new beginning. Pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.